are you this morning? It is good to see you. Much uh, more beautiful day this morning than yesterday morning. You know, when you're from up north and you go south this time of year, you think, man, it's gonna, I'm going to put my tank top, my shorts, my running shoes in my bag, and man, I'm going to have a good time and enjoy. It's colder here than Rochester, New York, I think. It really, actually, yesterday the difference in temperature was about 6 degrees from Atlanta to 600 miles north. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool here, but it's great to see the sunshine. It warms up the day. I don't care what the outside temperature is. If the sun is out, it makes it feel much, much warmer. Hope you had a wonderful night's sleep. And uh, as Pastor Joe has already said, we've got some notes in the back. They are the same notes. In fact, I'm going to teach the same thing because most people are stupid and don't get it the first time. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm looking at this crowd and I think I need to stay a couple extra days is what I need. Is maybe teach it three or four times, right? Okay. <laughs> so anyway, I... I wanted to simplify it. I didn't know who I was working with technology-wise. I wanted to simplify it, put all the notes out there. I'm going to pick up today, do a brief review in case you came in this morning, a brief review of what we did yesterday. And we'll follow the notes that you have. We've given you the space on them to jot anything <laughs> that's in, that I say that might be intelligent. You can put it in the margin over there. Most of you will leave with blank pieces of paper, I'm sure. But there, just in case I say something that's worth writing down, there is a space to do that. Uh, I apologize that I'm leaving today. And uh, when I was asked to do this, which was a long time ago now for me, it, was, uh, it wasn't years, but it was months ago, uh, I made my arrangements. I tried to do things well in advance. And uh, I had another meeting that was supposed to start tomorrow, a missions conference. And so I was trying to, you know, juggle all the times and everything. And, and I told Pastor Joe, I can't stay for Wednesday and Wednesday night. I've made a commitment already to be at this other church to start a missions conference on Wednesday night. Well, anyway, that pastor, after I made all these arrangements, they changed it and pushed it back to start Sunday. So I could have stayed, but I'm leaving. I didn't want to go through... Um, changing all the things that I've done, and I do have a home and would like to go home and see my family, so I'll be leaving. I'm going to listen to Sam this morning, and then someone's going to take me to the airport. So don't think that I got mad, upset, that I, you know, I got fed up with being around you people. I have enjoyed myself thoroughly, and I always learn more than I teach. There's no question about that, and being around such wonderful people and having a good time having some laughs and sharing uh, maybe some sad stories too. It always does me well, does me, does me good. So let me pray and we'll dig in, all right, Father? <clears throat> Thank you for the privilege and opportunity again to stand here and share some things with these folks that, first of all, that are biblical in the truth, I believe, and then maybe some experiences and some illustrations the, from my own life that I think uh, just reinforce what the Bible already says to be true. So we're here to learn about discipleship, to be better disciples and better disciplers. So that's our goal this morning, and we ask for the help and guidance and wisdom and direction of the Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to be here Sunday morning and to speak and for a nice place to stay. A lot of you are staying at the Hampton Inn. It uh, worked out really well for me, enjoyed it. And uh, the morning 
talks at 6.30 with some of you guys that get up before noon. And uh, so we've had uh, some good time there. But thank you for everything, Pastor, and to the people of this church. We're talking about the rewards of discipleship. Let me say some a couple important things, and if you get these and get up and walk out, you'll get probably the most important thing that I could say. And that is the rewards of discipleship are people. People are the rewards of discipleship. They're the people that you have an impact or influence on. And we're all, whether we like it or not, we're all discipling all the time. When people find out you're a Christian, you are now in the spotlight. Particularly when new believers come along and they're looking, they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do, and they don't know enough to read the Bible yet to find out what they're supposed to be. So they start looking around at to Christians and uh, in mimicking, parroting what they see there, and trying to be more Christ-like by uh, following the leadership of other people. So we're all discipling, whether we're doing it formally, officially, or not. But the rewards of it. Uh, basically, it's the people. 2 Timothy 2.2 is the rewards of discipleship, the people that we impact and we influence. So that may be the most important thing that I say about this. The second thing is this. You have to stay around a while to see that happen. Um, you know, I, there are good reasons to leave churches or to be moved out of ministries, and, and I, I do understand that. But then there are some bad reasons, and I can't decide for you. I'm not the Holy Spirit of God to determine what God's doing in your life or through you or any other pastor or missionary or whatnot. But I'm just going to tell you this. You're going to have to stay a while to see the results and the impact of your ministry. It's like raising kids. Um, I mentioned yesterday that every one of my children have disappointed me in some way over the years. And went through maybe a tough time with each and every one of them. And it wasn't when they were one year old or two years old or even five years old. They were lots of fun back then. All of them had some kind of an issue or presented some kind of a, a problem. And they got into their teen and later teen years and even into their adult years. That's when, but at the same time, that's when they began to shine too. That's when I began to see that what my wife had done, we have had an impact and a positive effect generally on our children. And that's nice. My children still talk to me. That's my first goal. They still talk to me. And my oldest boy is in his 40s now, and he still talks to me. He still calls me dad. He still looks forward to the times that we get together. And I think all of my children are that way today. And uh, boy, that's a wonderful thing. As you get older, your children and your grandchildren become the almost the centerpiece of your life other than your ministry and your relationship with God. So <clears throat> people are the rewards of discipleship. Stick around. Don't just run away. Things do get tough. Uh, sometimes, you know, people say, oh, he, he hasn't had it rough. He's a Pastor Grace, you know, his name is Grace, and his whole life has been Grace, and <laughs> wonderful and he has three or four angels that minister to him every day and keep him out of trouble that isn't I, I've had my share of issues over the years I really have but in have I ever really seriously considered leaving no I haven't uh, haven't done that but I will say the thought has crossed my mind never come to seriously thinking it's time to get out of here 
but it did cross my mind, and I really believe that I always felt that I was available to do whatever God wanted me to do. So I ended up staying now for 45 years in one place. Now I get to see the results of all of the work of those years. I mentioned this yesterday. Frank was sitting on the front row. I didn't disciple Frank, but Frank was a church member. Frank got saved through our football ministry, our flag football ministry, many years ago. Then he went to our Bible Institute, where I had the opportunity to teach several courses, at least five or six courses that I taught over the years. Frank was a student in my class, so I can claim a little bit. You know, I've had a little part in his life, not to mention Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and special times where he was there, we were together in some kind of an event. Because again, discipleship isn't just standing speaking. He's watching me. I don't like that. People are watching me, you know? Boy, I better watch what I say. I better watch. I better smile more. <laughs> I, better, I better not talk behind people's back. I better be a nicer guy. And that's always on us, isn't it? That's part of our discipleship. But um, Frank is here. Frank's been pastoring for six years now. Graduated from our institute and is pastoring. My pastor now, Kevin Pesky and Dylan Briscoe, who is our discipleship pastor in our church, they're both here, and I think they're in the other session right now. They're both, is that right? They're both, they're both in the other session, yeah. And uh, they're both students. I've taught them five or six classes or maybe more. Uh, Kevin got saved as a teenage boy in our church. Um, he, he was born after I was already in the ministry. And then Dylan is a graduate of our Bible Institute. He's now our discipleship pastor. But I've hit a part in both of their lives. So to see them where they are in others, that's the rewards of discipleship. Now, I could end right there and say, eh, I'm done. I've, I've finished. I think I gave you the most important thing I could say. But yesterday, what we did, let me take it a little bit further and try to encourage you as disciples or disciplers or both. Uh, here, we always are. We're always learning and we're always teaching, as I said. Uh, we started by uh, going to the book of Acts, just trying to establish the historical background. We got the five-mile view of the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. Then we defined what a Christian disciple is, just in case there's somebody new in here and doesn't know what we're talking about, and that happens uh, uh, often. We talked about the fact that disciples are characterized by certain things, we talked about 1 Thessalonians. We moved from the book of Acts, chapter 15, 16, 17, where uh, the uh, church was actually established. Then we moved to the book of 1 Thessalonians to see what uh, Paul had written to them. One of the important things that I mentioned was this is one of the first things that Paul wrote. This is 15 years after his own conversion. He's writing to a church that uh, he had a part in starting and uh, discipling and sent one of his disciples to that church, Timothy, uh, to check him out. He multiplied his ministry, that is Paul, by training a young man, Timothy, that he trusted to go to the church and could teach on his behalf and also bring back a report and answer the question, how are they doing there? What are they doing, Timothy? Are they doing all right? So um, both of those are functions of disciplers and uh, Paul multiplied himself. But we're looking at the church at Thessalonica. We talked about some of the purposes there. We mentioned the fact 
that one of the main um, themes of the book is the coming of Christ. We talk about, we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about eschatology, that our hope, our greatest hope, and maybe the greatest motivation to continue to go day in and day out is that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, every chapter, Paul ended with that reminder. New believers, new church, just getting off the ground. He reminded them, and this is, wasn't done just because he didn't have anything else to say. This is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Remember that, that this is an important thing to be reminded of, that Jesus is coming soon. We looked at the first two chapters quickly. Then we moved into chapter number three. We began to list. We went through the chapter verse by verse, and we tried to pick out kind of in a systematic, in a logical way, a almost a maybe a chronological way, looked through this particular chapter to pick out verse by verse the principles that we could apply or see that apply to discipleship. So what we said yesterday, if you have your notes, we said that discipleship establishes the new believer in the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. Discipleship multiplies the efforts, as we said, like Paul multiplied himself and Timothy and others. Thirdly, we said that discipleship provides the new believer with a, a friend, somebody to help. When I got saved, I was raised a Roman Catholic. Some of you know that, that I've known for years. I was raised a Roman Catholic. No one in my family was saved at that time. None of my friends. I was kind of the point man in Christianity. And, you know, I was excited about it. I thought everybody else would be excited. When I told my sister, who's a year younger, she wasn't excited. I don't understand it. And my friends, you know, all of a sudden they kind of faded off. I spent a lot of time. I was a party guy. I liked going out. I liked going out about 10 o'clock at night. My evening started. And I'd go out and play pool or bar bowling. And, you know, I'd hang out until last call and get home about 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. I enjoyed doing that. I had a lot of friends that enjoyed doing that. But I found that they kind of faded out. They weren't as excited about coming to church on Sunday morning like, uh, like I was. I invited them to come and tried to tell them about what had happened to me, but found that many of them, now some of them got saved over the years later on, but initially it got pretty lonely. I like people. I'm a gregarious individual. I like last night at Joe's house, we're sitting around with a bunch of people telling stories and stuff. I love to laugh. I used to do that before I was saved. We'd sit and talk and tell stories and laugh and laugh and laugh. Some of the things we talked about weren't really all that healthy, but we had a good time. I want you to know, I always had a good time in my life, whether it was moral or not. Anyway, uh, I enjoyed having a good time. So I, I enjoy getting together with people and talk, talk and getting to know them and having things. But all of a sudden, those friends began to evaporate in my life. I needed some friends. And people at the church that I pastored and have been at for all those years took my wife and I under uh, their wings, so to speak, the proverbial wings. I mentioned the Mateka family who a couple weeks after we went there invited us to come to dinner at their house. That's important. That's important. Discipleship does not need to come across as some professional thing that churches do. We need to get real with people and we need to get to know people. And having a cup of coffee and taking somebody out to McDonald's or even for a real nice dinner, spending time with them is important to new believers. 
we don't really understand how lonely that person is at that time. We don't meet new people and say, boy, am I glad I got new friends. I'm the loneliest guy on the planet. I'm sure glad you people that I don't even know any of your names have come along to enrich my life. We don't say that. We don't want people to know that we're inferior. We don't want people to know that we're lonely. We don't want people to know that we have needs. I don't have any needs. Your church is lucky to have me. I've got everything together, and your church is better already because I'm sitting in this pew. Well, that's the way we are as human beings. We like to think wherever we go, we are an asset. And unfortunately, people who are newly saved are great liabilities, aren't they? As one pastor uh, was known to do as people came forward at membership in their church, he'd say, may I introduce to you our two newest problems? Now, I don't know how many people stayed after that introduction, but he would say that, and there is such a truth, because people come into the church, rarely do they come in as great assets to the church, unless they've been saved a while and they got it together. Most people, like me and my wife, we came in as liabilities. We're going to cost you people something to build us up and to train us. So I won't spend, that's an illustration on something I said yesterday. So here we go. Let's skip down to number nine. That's uh, I think we finished eight yesterday. Number nine, the discipler provides encouragement to help the new believer to stand fast in the Lord. That's verse eight in second uh, in First Thessalonians chapter three. Encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. Encouragement comes oftentimes in the form of hope. When people are down, and it's going to get better. And you have a book that says how it's going to get better. Do you ever study all the better things in the book of Proverbs? Take the word better and look it up in your concordance and just run it through the book of, uh, book of Proverbs. I like to think that one of my main responsibilities as a pastor, as a Christian, as a discipler, is to help people just be better, make the situation better, make the occasion better, help the person see that their life could be better. There is a better way. That's what disciples are doing. They're trying to help people see there's a better way. And we need to find ways to encourage people. And we don't need to drag them down. We don't need to, you know, once we feel like we got to know them, now we're going to tell them all of our problems and all the things that are wrong with the pastor and the church that we're attending. That should never, 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 never happen. So the disciple, discipler provides encouragement. Ten, the discipleship new, moves the new believer toward perfection. And, and we've heard that uh, uh, each night. That's what this is all about, Sunday night, Monday night. We're moving people to a better place, toward perfection. None of us have arrived. We're always learning. But we can be better than we are this morning. I don't care how long you've been saved and how long you've read, how many you read the Bible 80 times in the last 40 years or whatever, we can always be better than we are. And we always need maintenance. I don't know about you, but my, my, I forget things quickly, more so today than I ever have in my life. I learn something and say, man, that's a good thing, man, I'm going to hang on to that. And two weeks later, I think, now what was that? That was the most important lesson in my life, and I can't even remember what it was right now. I don't know if you're like that, but reading the Bible continually reinforces being around Christian people and having 
right kinds of conversations, discipleship conversations, reinforces people and moves people to perfection. I hung out with a bunch of fanatics that like to read and study the Bible, and I, didn't, I wasn't smart enough to, get, to, to end up with that group of people, but that group of people saw that I needed that, and they glommed on to me and my wife and other people like us that were new at our church back in 1972, 1973. I wasn't smart enough. The new disciple doesn't really know what he or she needs. You know what they need, I hope, and you need to be able to provide that. And everybody in the church has a responsibility in some way. When a new person walks in, everybody has a responsibility. It's a body responsibility. It's not just the person that brought them to church. Everybody has a responsibility to, to encourage that person, to be a good example for that person, to welcome that person. And when you have an opportunity and see an opportunity to help that individual. So discipleship is much broader than one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two -two or a little Bible study on Friday night in your home. Much more than that. Number 11, produces joy in the discipler's heart. When I, you know, my children, my grandchildren, my greatest joys in life are in my family, my relationship, love God, love people, serve others, tell everyone. That's where my joys in life come from, from those four principles, my relationship with God, my relationship with people, primarily my wife, my children and my grandchildren, my pastor friends, my church friends, all of those. Then I have the opportunity to serve and serve others and have a mentality and then tell everyone, tell everyone the good news of the gospel of Christ. You do those four things. Those are four important things because you've got the great commission in there. Love God. It's the first and great commandment. Love people. That's the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be a servant. Son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That was Jesus' mission on earth. And fourthly, Matthew 28, Acts chapter 1 chapter 16, Luke chapter 24, on chapter 16. We're to go into all the world and tell everybody what we know about Jesus Christ. So those four things really encompass and embody what our mission in life is all about. Let me say it again. Love God. Love people. Serve others. Tell everyone. Notice that you're not the object of any of those things. It doesn't say love yourself. Number two, love yourself again. Number three, serve yourself. And then number four, talk to yourself. Whenever and encourage yourself. Tell yourself how good you are. That's the Great Commission. That's the Great Commission of the 21st century uh, today of the individual out there that doesn't know Christ as Savior. We, we see it differently. We see life from a different perspective. But it produces joy. Discipleship is the ministry rather than mere activity. Now, I'm not reading the verses because I know you can read the Bible, and that will take a little bit more time. But these principles come from this book. These are not just my ideas. Reading the Bible has taught me that what I've written on this piece of paper is important. It's important. In fact, you can find, I, I, I know Mark, each evening, he finds discipleship anywhere. He found it in the, in the book of Exodus, you know. I mean, it's everywhere in the Bible. He's back in the Garden of Eden with Lucifer, and we're talking about discipleship. 
What? But it is. It's everywhere in the Bible. We're just blind to it. We pick out, a, we pick out 2 Timothy 2.2 2 and we think that's the only thing the Bible says about discipleship. No, no, no. There's a lot more in the Bible than one verse in 2 Timothy. I promise you that. And we've learned that here Sunday night and Monday night. If you never knew that before, you walk away. I mean that lesson last night. It was brilliant. That took a theme through the whole Bible and then put it right in your face and said, this is what our responsibility is. You understand that what God has been trying to do, and now he wants to do it with us. Sons of God. He wants to do it with us. He tried Lucifer. It didn't work out. Adam didn't work out real well, but Jesus came, and he got it straightened out, and he lives in my heart. He is my Savior, and he wants to do what he's always wanted to do through his body, through his body, the church. What a great privilege that is. What's wrong with me when I'm thinking about me and me and what I want and what and I'm so sad. It's cloudy today. It's raining today. And no one said hi to me, you know. <laughs> oh, woe is me. Oh, get off it, would you please? Get off it. I just don't, I just don't, you know, there are some people that have rough lives. I just don't know anyone like that. Most people I know. Most people, I know a few people that are going through some difficult times physically and maybe a loss of a marriage partner and things. But most of us and most of our days are really good days, aren't they? You know, we have our times of affliction and tribulation. But when you turn your face to the cross and you open up the book, things just seem to get better quickly, don't they? It puts everything in perspective. Everything in perspective. Discipleship is the ministry, verse 12. It is the ministry. Now we do things. We worship. We evangelize. We serve. We have our own personal and individual spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, praying, fasting, things like that that we do. They're all very important things. But discipleship is the ministry. It's the opportunity where we get to represent Christ to other people, evangelism and discipleship. Tell them the story. And as I said, I think yesterday I said, or maybe I said, yeah, I think I said yesterday, it's not difficult to born a child, to bear a child, to conceive a child. That's not all that, but to raise one takes a long time. And sometimes you're never done raising your children. My youngest is in her mid-30s now. I still get a chance to help her and counsel her and encourage her. She's got five children. She needs a lot of encouragement. <laughs> And I'm glad she does, because they're my grandchildren. I can send them home anytime I want to. You know? <laughs> but we, we love them. We really do. It's a great part of life, great time of life. 13, discipleship provides a new believer with a living, breathing picture, an example of what a Christian should be. We're always on duty. You may be discipling, you know, Ann or Mary or Tony or Bob, but there are other people that are watching you disciple them. You're not just discipling Tony or Ann or Bob or whoever it might be. You're discipling everybody around you. They're watching you, watching you. It provides a new believer with a living, breathing picture, an example. Discipleship naturally produces holiness. I mean, you're on duty all the time. You're you're, there's a sense of awareness of Christ in your life. You live and walk consciously 
in the presence of God every day. Whether you think of it or not, you are. But when you are aware of it and you think of it, it makes a difference. He's here with me. He goes wherever I go. He knows my down-sittings and my uprisings. He knows my disappointments. He knows my victories, my joys. He knows me on my good days, my bad days, and he's right there with me, living in the presence of God, living in the presence of Jesus Christ. Discipleship, because we are engaged in ministry now, it naturally produces an awareness which naturally should produce a desire to be holy and to please the Lord. You know, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, and that's exactly what he wants to do. The flesh lusts against the Spirit, I understand that. But the Spirit is inside driving us to love Jesus and to live in the presence of God. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Who am I listening to? Number 14, it produces holiness. Discipleship provides godly counsel to the new disciple. Let me tell you, this helps the pastor and the pastors and leaders of the church. When you have a mobilized group of disciples, it could be four, eight, or 48 great disciples in the church, it takes some of the burden off the pastor. As a pastor, I've had people ask me, I think, just about everything for my advice, for my guidance and counsel. Like, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. My phone rings. I pick it up. Hello. <laughs> I'm not really joyful. Hello. Hello, pastor. This is so-and-so. Are you watching television right now? Is that a question? Is, are you really at? Yeah, there's this program on, and they said this, and I wanted to know what you thought about what they said. That's a true story. Now, that fellow was uh, murdered the following day. I don't know who killed him. But... <laughs> That's a true story. I had a lady come into my office one time. I mean, she was distraught. She was crying on the way in the door, and I thought, oh, no, I, I don't like to be around women when they're crying. I really don't. I don't, particularly if I'm the one that made them cry. I don't want to do that. Well, I didn't make this one cry. But she comes in, and she sits down, and we're talking. I got a coffee table there. We're sitting around. Oh, I'm such a bad mother. I'm such a bad mother. She's going on and on. She keeps telling me what a bad mother she is, but she didn't tell me why. So I, I, I have a habit of, you know, let the person vent. Don't try to pre-diagnose the problem or what. So I let her vent, and she's, she's getting through it. She's still crying, weeping, tears are coming down. I said, well, what's wrong? Why do you think you're a bad mother? This is her answer. True story. True story. She said, <laughs> Pastor, everybody in my neighborhood has a swimming pool. And I don't have a swimming pool. I'm a bad mother. My children don't have a swimming pool. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I thought after she said that. But maybe she could have gone to somebody else for counsel. She didn't need the pastor's help with that difficult problem, you know. <laughs> but what, what happens is when you have multiple people who are mature Christians, the disciple can go to that. It's the person most proximate can go to that person and say, you know, I'm really struggling with. They get a trust in that individual. 
And they're beginning, beginning to be willing to confide the struggles that they're having, the obstacles that are confronting them in their own life. And so they don't have to go to the pastor's office or the associate pastor or the counseling pastor, who, and that may be all one and the same person, don't have to go to that individual and have to have a, our appointment to talk about the fact that we don't have a swimming pool or whatever it is. Now, I'm not going to castigate somebody like that, and I'm not going to criticize them in their faith. But I am talking about them right now, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, Charity. Charity, Joe, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you correct me when I got up and started giving that? Were you listening Sunday morning when I was preaching anyway? Anyway. <laughs> Number 16, discipleship brings glory to God. That's what it's all about. God gets the glory. God gets the attention. It's all about him. It's not about me. Remember, love God, love people, serve others, tell everyone. None of those things are about me. Those are responsibilities that I have to do, but I'm not the recipient of the blessing of any of them directly. Indirectly I am, but directly my responsibility is to love him and to love you and to serve you and to tell all them. Notice I'm not pointing at me. Then God will take care of me. God will take care of me. God is my business manager. I take care of God's business, and he takes care of my business. He's the best business manager you'll ever have. You take care of his business, be about his father's business, and he'll take care of your business. I truly, firmly believe that. I live that. I make my mistakes from time to time, but I really believe what I told you, and it seems to work for, you know, I've been saying, what, 45, 46 years now. It's working. Brings glory to God. Now, the last thing here is just kind of where he wraps this up. Discipleship is energized by a great prayer life. Amen. We don't talk enough about prayer. We always tack it on at the beginning or the end or whatnot. And I'm not condemning anybody or criticizing anybody, but I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not as important to me as it ought to be. Our lives and everything that we do need to be bathed in prayer. And this is where this this particular uh, chapter ends talking about discipleship. Discipleship is energized by a great prayer life. Don't miss that. Don't think that you know, you're the talent. You're smart. You know the scriptures. You've got the knowledge. And this disciple is really lucky to have you there because you can talk about anything. You could have, you probably taught Mark Trotter the lesson that he preached last night. That's how good you are. How about prayer? There's something there. It's not me. I'm not doing this. God's using me, but it's the power of God behind us. Now, I want to, I want to, where am I here? I got a lot of time left, don't I? Yeah. I'm not done here, but I've got more time left than I thought, so that's good. Now, that's chapter number three. Let me, let me, let me since I am where I am, let me stop at the end of that chapter and ask you, have any questions on any of those things, that's really the main body of what I want to say, although I'm not done, because chapter 4 and chapter 5, they both have something to add to what I've just said. Any, anything? Any questions on that? Let's not just talk general discipleship. Let's focus on the chapter, the verses, the statements that are on your paper there. Let's just focus on that. 
because there's going to be time for general questioning before this conference is all over, and I know that. I'll give you a little time at the end, and then tomorrow there's a uh, question and answer. All right, so let's do this then. Look at chapter number four. You've got notes for this. Let's throw up the outline for that on the screen. This is, uh, actually, this is probably, you know, I've been around a long time. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, uh, uh, I've never had an original thought in my life. I really haven't, but I've had a lot of thoughts, and I've got them from other people that I considered intelligent, smart, and they made sense to me. And this may be from Warren Wearsby, or Warren Wearsby certainly inspired me. He loved to do alliterations, and, and uh, he has the B-series books, these little books. There's countless of them, I think, on every book in the New Testament. And I kind of grew up on Warren Wearsby. I liked those books. I wasn't into those deep theological journals like that. I wasn't into Bibliotheca Sacra or whatever Dallas <laughs> Seminary puts out. I wasn't into that. But I was in these little B books, you know, and I was getting established in just general understanding of the scriptures. So I want to give him credit. This walk thing may have come from him. But this is talking about discipleship. So Paul continues in chapter number four about discipleship and these elements. And I like alliteration. I think Mark Trotter likes alliteration too. I've noticed that. But I do like alliteration because it helps me memorize, remember things. And here in uh, chapter number four, we can see these are kind of results. These are things that he's encouraging after all of the things he's said in chapter three. He says, now, you need to walk in holiness. As a discipler, you shouldn't be afraid. You're not perfect, but you shouldn't be afraid to say, this is what you should do humbly. This is what you should do. Don't just give them the text. Give them the principle. Give them the point to read it for themselves. But you need to bring the, these conversations you have to some kind of conclusion. It's like an invitation in a sermon. I mean, at the end of the sermon, you know, the, the pastor has made a maybe a main point or two or three main points. He comes to the end. He kind of uh, uh, reviews what he said. And then he says, now, this is what I think you need to do. Now, you may take something else from the sermon, but this has been the main point of what I've been saying. And I hope you'll take it home. And I hope you, as I will, take something from this and do something about it. So that's what Paul's doing. He says, now, you know all this stuff? Now, we need to be holy. He's already mentioned that in chapter 3. You need to be holy. And if you need a definition of that, we've got some, we've got eight verses in there. We can learn something about what holiness is. You need to be loving. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. That's the only way, I think, from what I read in the scriptures, that lost people can really identify the true church of God, the true body of Christ. It's not because you have a King James Bible. It's not because you tithe. It's not because you get up on Sunday morning and go to Sunday school and church and Sunday night and Wednesday night and visitation Thursday night, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And your neighbors go, man, there's real Christians there. Look at that guy goes to visitation on Thursday night. I just hope he doesn't visit my house on Thursday night. That's all. So well, how do lost people know? What is the greatest tool for evangelism that a church has? The greatest tool is having the right relationship with each other within the body 
loving one another. Billy Wood, in starting his church, named the church One Baptist, together, oneness. There's only one way you can do that, and that is by having true, genuine love for one another. There's no doubt, I don't have to talk to Billy or ask him any questions. I know that's behind the name that's on his church, oneness. And he knows better than I that that's going to be achieved by love. So walk in love. Love comes through being one in harmony, integrity, moral soundness, being honest with people, being honest with your, dis not brutally honest, but carefully, thoughtfully honest with people. Don't compromise. Just because you think the other person is struggling with something, don't back off on the truth and soft sell the truth to them. Don't tell them, you know, you know, I got a real problem with drinking. I really do. No, I'm not talking about myself now, okay? So people like to take little clips out of sermons and say, did you hear Pastor Grace has a problem with drinking? No, no. So anyway, I, I did, but I don't anymore. I want you to know that. But anyway, uh, somebody that says that, that they're uh, having a problem with drinking, drinking. And so you're discipling them and saying, listen, I'll tell you what. Why don't you cut back a little bit? Why don't you just get drunk once a month? That'll be okay. It'll be all right. No, drunkenness is not right. It's not right once a month or once a year, once in a lifetime. It's wrong. I'm sure of that. Lots of different people have different takes on alcohol and all that. I'm not here to establish and give you the final word, but I do know this, that drunkenness is a sin, so I'm not going to compromise on that. Do I drink? No, I do not drink. I drank a lifetime worth of alcohol before I was 25 years of age. I got my lifetime supply taken care of. I don't drink, no. So if you think I'm compromising even what I'm saying, no, not for me, not good for me. I remember arguing with my father when I first got saved, trying to win him to Christ. We're both sitting there drinking. I'm half in the bag trying to win my father to Christ. You know what I'm thinking? One night I was sitting home and I'm reading my New Testament. I got a, a beer in my right hand and I got a New Testament in my left hand and I'm reading along there and this is a true story. A voice, not audible, said, you know, these two things don't go together. Amen. Who said that? And I thought, yeah. And that was the last day I drank. That was the last time I drank. I said, That's it. I don't need this anymore. I don't need to do this anymore. I'm saying be honest with people. So when people get into that and they talk about alcohol, they say, let me tell you my, let me tell you, I'm not going to be the one. I'll give you some verses that I think are very strong against alcohol. I know why people attempt to justify it. I understand that. And they may, there's points there that they can make with that. Let me tell you my own, my own experience. I don't need it. I don't need it. And I can tell you my experience in life is drinking did not help me to be holy, ever. It helped me to be very loose and very unholy. So I know that. I have nothing to do with that. Honesty. So I'll be honest with people. You know. And my positions and things in the Bible are my positions. It's where I'm convinced and what I think right now. But, you know, even last night, Mark changed my whole mind about Satan and who he is now. I think he's a, a bad guy. I thought he's pretty... No, I'm just kidding you all. <laughs> hope. I said this yesterday. Hope. Everybody needs hope. And people walk out of my office or out of my life, and, I ha and I've had an opportunity to try to influence them. Hope. 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 I want you to have hope. 
There is hope for a better life, for a, a better situation. There is hope. Let me give you some illustrations, some examples, some scriptures that will show you that. That's all part of discipling people. Then chapter number five. These are some interesting things. These are some things that discipleship in the word of God does for us. What do we get? It's chapter five. You, I've given you the statements and the verses. In chapter number five, Paul compares, uh, he, he uh, compares two things, two opposites. What discipleship does, it takes a person who is ignorant and brings them knowledge. Now, I know knowledge puffs up. It's not the, be the most important thing, but you've got to have knowledge. You know, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'd say that the grace is probably a little bit more, more important than the knowledge, but the grace comes from having knowledge of what the Bible says. So they work in tandem one with another. But verses 1 and 2 uh, compare, what's the result of discipleship? Your disciple is going to move from ignorance to knowledge. They're going to move from surprise, you know, what's going on, to a spirit of expectancy, getting back to the eschatology and expectancy. Man, when I first got saved and people talked about the rapture, and Christ coming. I mean, every time I walked outside, I looked up into the clouds and was looking for the formation that would be the perfect formation for Jesus to come back on. By the way, I still do that every now and then. Don't lose that, because he is coming. He is coming. Oh, no, it's been a long time. He ain't come yet. Well, it's closer today than it was that long time ago when you first started looking. He's coming. And we know from the Bible, not from George Grace, but we know from the Bible that Paul emphasized that in every chapter of this book. He ended every chapter with the encouragement, don't forget, Jesus is coming. The greatest motivation that any Christian have. I moved from darkness, a complete idiot, to kind of a mild idiot now. I have some light in my life now, so I know some things. But I was a complete, I can't believe how stupid I was but then I look around at other people and I go, you know, I was just like them and they're just like me. When I was 20 years old, I thought everybody should be like me. I really did. I couldn't understand why people would like things that I didn't like or didn't like things that I liked. What's wrong with them? I like to play golf. And people say, oh, you go out there and hit that little white ball around this or that. What's wrong with you? You need a therapist. Golf is the greatest thing on the planet. I love to play golf, and I did love to play golf. Couldn't understand anybody would want to play golf or eat tacos or steak sandwiches slathered with butter. How could someone not like something like that? You know, what's wrong with you? I see people eating grass and weeds in restaurants. What's wrong with you? What are you eating that stuff for? Don't you know there's meat on the menu here? But this way, I really thought that way. It sounds funny now. You say, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's speaking sarcastically. I wasn't then. <laughs> I was serious, man. Drunkenness to sobriety. For George Grace, literally. Literally. I never got arrested for DWI. But I should have. There were times that I woke up in the morning, and I don't even know how I got home. My car was in the driveway, and I was in my bed, and I had no idea how I got there. I couldn't have been doing really well while I was driving. 
if I would have been pulled over, it cost me a lot of money. I would have got arrested, spent the night in a hooskow, and I would have had to get a good lawyer. Drunkenness, just sobriety. Sleep to awake. In wrath, on my way to hell, to salvation. Wow. Made so much sense. My biggest obstacle was works. I was a Catholic. It was ingrained in me that I had to work. Yet Jesus died on the cross. He did a lot, but I got to finish it up. I got to finish the work. I got to be a good guy. I got to keep the Ten Commandments. I got to go to church on Sunday. I got to keep my Easter duty, you know, and novenas and all that stuff. Got to do that, and I'll be okay. As long as I don't rob a bank or murder somebody, I'll probably make it. At least I'll get to purgatory and burn there for 500 years, and then I'll get into heaven. Something like that, I'll make it. And then when I understood, for by grace, not me, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When I finally, I read that, I just didn't understand it because of all that I had learned previous to that. But when I got it, the lights came on and I said, I'm ready. What do I need to do? I bowed my head, bowed my heart, bowed my knee. And I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Discipleship reminds the disciple, you have moved from a position of wrath, of disobedience, child of the devil. You moved into the kingdom of light, a child of God, a son of God. Wow. What a privilege that is. So all of that, all of that is part of discipleship, I think. Now, I'm still got a lot of time. This is terrible, you know. Well, it really is. Most preachers don't have enough time, but I got plenty of time. Thank you for all the time. So I do have, I've got some, some things here. Why don't you take the next slide? These were things that I threw in, and not that one. Let's move on beyond that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see what else you got there. What does that one say? It says keys. Yeah, this might answer some questions. So I'm going to move past uh, 1 Thessalonians. These are some things that, I just want to say, and maybe people would ask questions. I don't want you to misunderstand. Discipleship is a process. It's not a destination. It's not a place we arrive at and say, oh, I'm done. You know, I've made it. I finally got there. No. Secondly, the process will not occur without strong leadership from the senior pastor. Now, I don't, didn't say that he has to do it all. I'm just simply saying he has to be the chief cheerleader in the church. Now, you can hire somebody or you can find a layperson to be the administrator and the person that organizes it and helps develop the people and develop the system, whatever that system is. You can do that. But that does not absolve the pastor of the responsibility to be the chief cheerleader. People need to hear it. You need to establish a discipleship culture in your church where everybody is training the person that will replace him. You are leaving. And if you're serving in the ministry in any capacity, somebody's going to have to take your place. Now, your job may be very simple, and you've already got people who could do what you do, but they still might not do it as well as you do. You should be discipling that person, and not necessarily just in, in Scripture in the sense that you go through some of the things we've talked about here. But you need to show them how to do the work, too, and talk about the practical ins and outs of how to do that. That's what I'm doing right now. 
Do I have a scripture for this? I could probably dig one. I can find a scripture for everything in the Bible. Eventually, doesn't mean it's the right one, but I could find one. But the process will not occur without strong leadership. That just makes sense. That's logic. I'm sure I could find that principle somewhere in the Bible. The church's ministry focus must be streamlined to prioritize and support it. Sometimes we get so many things going on, discipleship gets choked out like a like a beautiful flower in a weed bed, the flower gets choked out by all the other things. Lots of good things going on in the church, but should they? Is it your business? And if you're doing things that aren't your business, you probably ought to get rid of them anyway. And they're going to take resources away from your discipleship ministry, people, money, and time. And discipleship ought to be evangelism and discipleship. Worship, evangelism, and discipleship ought to be the most important things that are going on, and obviously serving in the body also. So the church's ministry focus, the process must have a simple but intelligent plan. If you make it too complicated, people, they get discouraged. It has to be. It's nice to actually have a path on the back wall of your church. Some of you guys do. This is where you started the day you walked in the church. You are here. And this is where we want you to go. We want you to go to the, the uh, uh, new attenders class, the new believers class, whatever you call it. This is the way, and it's spelled out in a logical, oh, okay, this is what I should do, yeah. And then everybody should talk about that. Have you been to the new members, the new believers, whatever? Have you been to the discipleship one? Have you been, have you been to uh, uh, the cost of discipleship class? Have you been there? People ought to be encouraging everybody because then it becomes the thing to do. And everybody does it. That's the way human beings are. Well, everybody's doing it. Well, they do bad things because everybody's doing it. You know what? They can do good things because everybody's doing it. It's not a bad place to be. Man, everybody's involved in the discipleship. Why? Because they're just a bunch of copycats. They just do what everybody else does. Well, that's a good thing to do. Do that. That may not be the best reason to do it, but at least they're doing it. Hopefully, they'll get the right motive later on. So. Uh, we got number five, six, seven, and eight, I think. And I'm done with this and one more thing to say. The discipleship ministry must have a dedicated leader and a facilitator. I didn't say it has to be the pastor. And it probably can't be the pastor, although it may be have to be in your church because you don't have anybody that's got the mentality, the discipleship philosophy down to be this person. But somebody needs to mind the store. Somebody has to do it. We have a fella, and he's here this week. When a person walks in and we get that person's name, he tracks them. He tracks them. Just as I said, this is the logical process of growth and development in our church. And he has their name, their address, their contact information, and he continually gets back to them to invite them to the next step from wherever they are, to the next step before they ever get into involved in discipleship. But once they are in discipleship, he's, on again, on his radar. Somebody needs to do that. So many people fall through the cracks. We heard yesterday from Sam, you know, 10 people start discipleship and nine uh, drop out. Sometimes you don't even know who the people were that dropped out. Well, they dropped out, so we throw their card away, you know. Do we have a record of who they are? How do you know nine out of 10 dropped out if you don't keep record? Well, that's a good guess. 
yeah, you're doing a lot of guessing. Like, yeah, I think we had between two and 3,000 on Sunday morning in attendance. <laughs> yeah, two and 3,000. Somewhere in between two and 3,000 you had. You're guessing. <laughs> you don't guess at your checkbook, do you? You guess at your paycheck. You read every number there and make sure they're all there when you cash the check. We need to make sure that we administrate. We care for people and we'll take care of them. We'll track them. Go to school on other discipleship examples and models. We don't have the perfect. In fact, we're in a process of changing some of ours. It's been pretty much the same for a long time. We have a new pastor. He's got maybe different perspectives. Doesn't mean he has a different philosophy of ministry, but he wants to do things in a different way. Sometimes things just need to be changed to get people's attention. Shake it up, man. Shake it up. Some people say, well, if it ain't broke, don't, don't change it. No, I think sometimes things need to be broken to get people's attention. It doesn't mean to do it in an inferior way, but it, some things need to be broken to do it again in a way to get people's attention afresh and anew because people get burned out. No matter how right it is, they get burned out. You know, my wife, every year she has this birthday. I'm sick and tired of buying birthday gifts and birthday cards and celebrate. I got to take her out to dinner. And, uh. Now, no one in here has ever thought like that. Oh, I got to get my wife a gift. If I don't, I'll never hear the end of it. What a great motive to buy your wife a birthday present. You're burnt out on being a nice guy to your wife or to your children or whatever it is. It's just human nature. It happens in discipleship. People get burned out. It is the right thing to do. It's always the right thing to do. Do it. Even if you get burned out, it's the right thing to do, and there will be a reward in it. But nonetheless, we do get burned out, and we become complacent. So we have to keep stirring the coals, don't we, of discipleship. Be prepared that that's going to happen. And what is your approach? What is your strategy? What's your plan for when people start getting burned out? And try to keep them from being burned out, but they're going to get burned out. Somebody will. What are you going to do with them? How are you going to re-encourage them? And be structured and flexible. Grace and truth. I picked that up in 1989. My life, I want to be graceful and truthful. Graceful first, but in the end, I'm going to be truthful. If I can't be graceful any longer, you're going to get the truth, and you may not like it. That's the way I was with my kids. I don't hear my kids fighting or doing something wrong. I walk in and, you know, I shoot first and ask questions later. I don't do that with my kids. You don't do that with your disciple. You don't do that with anybody. You better know what you're doing. If, if you're going to be in a leadership or disciplinary position, you be graceful as long as you can. Then you have to tell people the truth, grace and truth. So be flexible in that. Do I have one more slide? I think I do. Enemies of this. I don't even have to tell you anything. Time, lack of motivation. You know, I'm retired now. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid I'm going to get lazy. I really am. I was a workaholic for years and years and years. So now I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing meditation. I sit down and just do deep breathing exercises to get over my anxiety from 40 years of ministry. <sighs> Don't breathe, take any more than 12 breaths a minute. <laughs> 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 I 
Really? I, <laughs> you think I'm kidding? <laughs> I'm trying to slow down. I'm afraid I might slow down too quickly and I might like it. Don't ask me to do nothing. I ain't doing nothing. All I need is five bucks in my pocket, a McDonald's cheeseburger, and I'm okay. Leave me alone. Cultural and demographic differences. They present their challenges. Discipleship is not a quick fix mentality. You know that. There's the internal competition in your own church. Sometimes uh, it, people get jealous of other people. Well, you know, Pastor, you give the discipleship ministry all the attention. The Sunday school ministry, we need workers. You never say anything about that. You've got to watch out for that. It's an enemy of your discipleship ministry. Negative preconceived notions about what discipleship is. It's too hard or I don't need it. You know, I've been a Christian for 45 years. I've read the Bible from generations to revolutions. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, lack of role models. Maybe you don't have a lot of role models in your church and you're trying to get this off the ground in a programmatic mentality as opposed to a ministry mentality. Let me stop there. I still have a lot of time, and if, I'm, if you don't have questions, you can have a longer break. But if you've got questions right now, I'm open. I'll try to answer anything that you ask. Now you can ask anything about it. I just wanted to focus in on Chapter 3 before. Anything about discipleship, anything about me, anything about life, I don't care. I'll, I'll try to answer it, yes. Um, when it comes to um, children, as you're winning kids, uh, you know, let's say 10, 12, 15 years old, mm -hmm. how do you fit them into the discipleship process? Well, we have a discipleship ministry for them. Uh, one of the best children's discipleship, in fact, I think the best that I know of is the Awana ministry. That's what Awana is in our church. Awana is our discipleship ministry for children. That's how it's, how it's presented to people and that's how the workers think of it, and that's what we teach the children. We're discipling you. Now, you disciple children a little bit differently. Their intellectual level changes from three years old to 18 or 17 years of age, so there's adjustments. In fact, ministering to kids is probably more difficult than ministering to adults in a lot of ways. I really cut my teeth on teenagers, and I was a bus pastor. I picked up kids and brought them to church every Sunday, and then taught junior high kids, you know, <laughs> talk about whacked out, mixed up people. I taught junior high kids for about, uh, oh, a year and a half before I taught senior high kids. So, but, and then we have a discipleship ministry. They meet on uh, Wednesday night. Some of them are broken up into one-on-ones and one-on-twos, but they are broken up into small groups on Wednesday night where a leader takes that small group and then disciples, maybe five teenage girls, five teenage boys or something like that. So it still goes on in a different form, okay? Okay, does that help? Okay. Somebody else? Somebody else? You mentioned um, guarding against burnout uh, in your discipleship ministry. What have you experienced uh, that has been successful in helping to prevent or then to encourage and, and help people who are burning out? Sometimes you feel like I feel. You ever seen the juggler that spins the plates on the end of the stick? 
and he puts the plate on there and he puts it up, puts it on the table and he does the next one and he runs to the end and then he hopes to get to the end to get the 10th plate spinning. But by the time the 10th plate's spinning, the first plate is going, wow, wow, and he runs back. Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? A lot of different things going on. Specifically, what is your question, though? Sometimes we get busy like that, specifically. Just thinking about uh, people who were in our discipleship ministry, mm -hmm. and they How do you re-motivate yeah, them? Yeah. Well, they probably feel like the juggler. So sometimes what I do, and I, and I don't, uh, I, I'm not negative, give people a break, take a vacation, you know. Don't lose track of them, but give them some time off. Or maybe introduce them to a different ministry to kind of free up their head a little bit. Give them something else to do. Don't take them out of the ministry. If you give them a vacation, make sure you know when they're coming back. Give them a 96-hour leave, make sure they need to be back in 96 hours, back on duty, or three or four weeks, or whatever it is. Um, I think the, the greatest motivation force is that the pastor, again, talks about it and does it himself. Talks about it positively and does it himself. He doesn't come to the pulpit and go, you know, I'm discipling too. I'm totally exhausted. You people that feel like me, I understand. Frankly, I'm quitting. But I expect, I expect. It's all right, I'll take a pay cut. I'll take 10% take off my pay. I ain't doing this anymore. This is just wearing me out. But you people should do it, okay? All right? Any questions? Bye. I'm going. By the way, I'm going down the aisle, out into the parking lot, and I'm going home. I don't want to talk to anybody now. You know. So it needs to be promoted over and over. It needs to be important. We do it not because we like it. We do it not because it's fun and games. We do it because it's the right thing to do. Well, I don't want to buy my wife a birthday present. Okay, don't. See how you like it. See what happens. Well, why do I do it? The, the base reason, the worst motivation for me is because it's the right thing to do. So we're going to do it. Even if people drop out, I'm doing it. I'm going to do the right. I'm going to live for Jesus even if everybody drops out. I hope I have, by the grace of God, the spiritual sustenance to be able to do that. So I, again, go back to the pastor, go back to whoever the administrator is. Those people need to be hyper positive. And if you have to give somebody a break, give them a break, but don't forget them because they may take a break forever. You know, I felt like doing that sometimes. You know, I'd like to take a break forever from this, all right? I hope that helps. There's other things. Just talking with people, I think in a conversation with other pastors or other Christians, you come up with a lot of ideas of how you, maybe you have a discipleship dinner night where you, where you treat them special. You buy them dinner you hit and, you, and give them the results. This is what we're doing. This is how... So you reinvigorate by a great report or whatnot. There's lots of things, lots of ways. Any way you would motivate a person can be used to motivate disciples who are getting burned out. Somebody else? Anybody else? Okay. All right. 
I have enjoyed being here. You've got some extra time. You're going to get you're going to get maybe eight or nine extra minutes here. That's another cup of coffee and another trip to the bathroom, okay? So, but let me pray with you and for you before I'm done. And again, I want to thank you. This has been a wonderful time for me. It really has been. It's been good for me to be here, to be with you, to meet new people, to uh, see old friends and renew acquaintances. It's been a blessing. And to listen to the teaching and preaching that I desperately need. I'm going to be sitting on the front row listening to Sam. I love listening to Sam. I love listening to Mark. You brought in, other than myself, you brought in some good speakers here this <laughs> week. I appreciate it. And I've been ministered to. I want you to know that. Father, you're so good to us. Oh, yeah, we have bad days. We have bad moments, bad times. But most days, most hours, most moments are really, really good. In fact, we say it often. We don't really know how good we have it. We are rich. We're wealthy in Jesus. Lord, and we thank you for that. Look at the friends. I mean, how, how many people in this world can really look around and, and have a trust and a camaraderie and go to a place in another city and be there for two minutes and feel like you're home again? I can't think of another group of people, another place where I can do that other than with God's people and his body in a local church. So I pray now that you'll continue to bless the conference. There's a lot more going on. We're a little, maybe a little bit past halfway point now, but a lot more is going to go on uh, in the next hour. And then, Lord, tonight, tomorrow, God bless these people. And may we all leave encouraged, on fire, and convinced. Discipleship is the right thing to do, and it always is. It doesn't depend on the results. Just because we get good results, oh, see, it's the right thing, Lord. It's the right, no. If I don't get any results, it's the right thing to do. I know that from reading your scriptures. Thank you, appreciate you, and love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Thank you, everybody. God bless you.